Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to the Talk the Podcast. This is Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome our last show of 2013. Uh, before we get started with today's topic, let me make a few little announcements. First of all, the schedule for the podcast has kind of been willy-nilly, especially the last few weeks because we've had so many special guests who could not uh, do the show at the regular time, which I think is supposed to be Mondays at 3 if you're listening on Eastern Time. However, I think most of our regular listeners download it anyway. So if, if my rescheduling the show has messed up your download schedule, I am sorry about that, and um, I'm... I'm not going to worry about it, though, because anytime I have a great guest, you can't do it at the right time. It does not matter to me when we when we have this uh, show scheduled. So I wanted just to make a mention of that. If you missed last week's show, it was on Friday, um, and I had a, a great show about toy rotation. And I loved Kim Rowe, and I think her ideas are great. So check out Little Stories, her website, and be sure to listen to that podcast because there are so many nuggets of gold uh, from that show. So I wanted to mention that. Secondly, I've done a little um, promotion lately with the Christmas and Winter Therapy Guides that I did last year, and you can find the post for those probably easiest at teachmetotalk.com with just a little summary of what what a therapy guide is. It's about a 45 to a 60-minute downloadable video, so it is it is right at your fingertips so that you can purchase it and then watch it pretty immediately if you purchase from my other website, which is myei2.com. And I know it's nine days before Christmas, so so you may feel like, gosh, I'm out of time to get these therapy ideas going for this year. But if you're a parent of a child and you're looking for things to do over that what seems like an eternity of a Christmas break, or if you're seeing children right up until the last minute for therapy and you need just some ideas, some new little uh, routines and activities to boost those last few sessions that you may have with your little friends before Christmas and, again, through the break period, take a look at those therapy guides because I guarantee you're going to find something that you, an idea maybe that you've never seen before or perhaps an idea that you use that you've forgotten about or maybe you can take one of those ideas and tweak it a little and make it your very own and have just during these uh, holiday therapy sessions. So take a look at those things. All right, today our topic is actually finished up show number 217. I cannot believe this podcast continues to go and go and go and I've had that much to talk about for 217 shows, but today we're on show 220, and it is part two of the show titled Ideas for Kids Who Don't Like to Play with Toys, and and if you have not listened to that show yet, I'd really advise you to stop and go back and listen to that show first, because we're going to pick up where we left off. Um, the article that I'm using as a reference for today's show or, or kind of my foundation to get started and then go off on my own little tangents was from uh, Friendship Circle. And you can find their page on Facebook or their Friendship 
Bible.org, I believe, but it was a comprehensive guide to finding the right toy for your child with special needs. And it was a, a freebie that they gave away if you liked their Facebook page. I'm not sure if that's still available. But there were so many good articles included within this guide. And what they did is they asked or they took previously published posts from lots of different people and combined it for this super, super guide. And the article that we're referring to is 25 Great Toys for Kids Who Don't Walk, Who Don't Play With Toys, and it's by a person named Karen Wang, who's a parent of a child with special needs. And when we did the show before, I think we got through the first 19 of her recommendations. So we have six more things. I don't know if we talked about every single one in the show, and again, that's okay if we skip them. This is just our... Our starting plus today, we're going to pick up where we left off with that, and then I'm going to add uh, some things that I always use for toddlers and young preschoolers who aren't so great with regular toys. And if you'll remember, we talked a lot in part one of this show that sometimes children look like they don't like a toy when it's really that they don't know how to play with a toy. So there's a real skill deficit there, and, and again, sometimes as parents, we miss this. We'll think, well, he's bored or she doesn't like whatever the toy happens to be, when really it's that the child doesn't understand how to use the toy, doesn't see if there are motor issues, can't physically manipulate the toy, and so again, you might mistake the child's rejection as he doesn't like it when it's really that he needs an adult to help him learn how to play or learn how to use the toy appropriately or complete the activity. So wanted to mention that point again in case you haven't listened to that first show. Um, but let's keep that in mind as we talk about these additional ideas with sometimes, again, it's not that the child doesn't like something, it's that he or she doesn't know what to do with it. So we'll talk about some ways to make that easier. All right. Karen's next recommendation was the magnetic uh, wheel. That's the little, if you'll remember from your own childhood, the little wire that's bent, and there's a wheel that goes um, from one side of the wire to the next. And it is just a, oh gosh, a, just a mesmerizing toy for children and for adults. And it's one of those toys that we kind of talked about last time with those folk kinds of toys, toys that have been around for a long, long, long time. And again, even though I'm calling this a toy, it's really not something that a child may, especially this young, may typically play with, but it certainly is something that we can use to attract attention and help a child engage with us, especially if a child has visual interest displays visual strength. Now, what do I mean by that? These are kids that are really attracted to toys or objects in everyday life that move. So these may be your kids who love to watch the ceiling fan or your kids who really enjoy toys that spin or toys with blinking lights. In in another everyday context, it might be the microwave. So every time you microwave some food, your child is running in there because he or she wants to see the light and kind of watch that plate spin. So this could be a toy that you could or um, introduce if you're trying to expand a child's attention or expand a child's interest from your kind of tried and true visual toys that you've used in the past. You can usually pick this toy up. Uh, I think it's all, nearly always a Cracker Barrel or any kind of specialty toy store and you'll remember from the previous show that 
I mentioned that Ms. Wang, the author of this article, has links to all of the toys that she's mentioned. So, so if you don't know what this magnetic wheel is, you can take a look at that um, and get the link there and purchase it. The next one she says is a lot of fun. It's a whoopee cushion. Now, I'll just tell you, I do not routinely use this in therapy, but my own children, when they were growing up, even in elementary school, thought this was hysterical, and those body noise toys always bring about smiles for young children. So... It's one thing that she recommended, and she says it's a quick way to get a child with a speech delay to want to talk and quite a bit of eye contact, too. And, and we know why this happens. It's because it's novel. It's because it's fun. It's because it's a shared experience. You know, maybe something a little grosser <laughs> than we would want to talk about or use. But that kind of potty humor or or a uh, little bit off-color topic for kids is always a way to generate a lot of fun and, again, some great back and forth. So she says, you know, yes, it's crude and vulgar, but, boy, does it work. So you can find those kinds of things usually at the dollar store, too. Um, the next thing that she mentions is a globe, and she says for children who like things that spin, this helps with pre-literacy skills and opens up new conversations about the world. Our little guys that are in the, our toddler developmental period may not look at though beyond its visual properties, beyond that spinning thing. I think her next suggestion is actually better and is the Hoberman sphere. So if you don't know what that is, you should Google that or get on Amazon and look at it. There are all kinds of sizes, but this is that that ball that's made out of plastic that uh, compacts or goes really, really small, and it has those those spheres. So then you open it up, and it gets larger. And boy, do toddlers like that. I have one that's huge. I mean, I think it's the biggest one that they make, and it is so much fun, especially for those Visual kids, especially for those kids who, again, may not like traditional toys, but this is just weird enough or interesting enough to really capture their attention. You can use it for all kinds of things. Uh, when Kate did the show to me, she had a cute little routine that she did with the Hoberman ball that she sang something like, um, oh, gosh, I don't even remember that song. You'll have to go back and look at it, but you can make up your own little routine. I usually do you know, something about, oh, it's, it, you know, it's a lip ball, it's getting bigger, it's getting bigger, whoa, something like that. As I'm opening the ball, I nearly always put a child inside the ball, and they like that a lot because they're looking at the outside, you know, just in amazement that they can't believe that they're in there and maybe, you know, crush it on them a little bit or push it in and you, then you can model a big ouch, ouch, or no, or whatever word that you're working on. And again, it's a fun way to kind of elicit those things. You can teach in and out with a Hoberman ball, and if you don't want the child doing that um, himself, you can certainly take a stuffed animal or a ball or anything and put it inside and talk about in, and then again, take it a fun, fun way to teach that. I also like teaching size differences with the hypersphere, and you can certainly sphere. You can certainly do it with big and little or large and small or whatever two words you picked to teach those size differentiations, and children love it. Kids almost always want to play with it. Sometimes those Hoberman balls um, 
aren't as durable as we would like with especially uh, our rough little friends. So you may have to keep control of that toy a little bit more than your friends would like. But again, I've done some tug-of-war things with that where we're pulling it. You certainly can spin, you know, and do a version of go and stop with that. Moms typically like those those uh, toys too because it's a toy that they've seen all the time. And it certainly is something, again, that you can use to engage a child's attention. Maybe he's tired of other things that you've done that day and you want to bring out something that he's never seen before it's something that he would be more likely to want to sit around and figure out how to make the ball get small and then uh, get large again. So great, great, great toy. The next two toys that she's recommended are Toys Introduce Pretend Play. And, oh, my goodness, I could do three hours on this kind of play alone, but let's just talk about the two <laughs> Uh, activities or two toys she's recommended here, and then I'll tell you how I use these things. First of all, she says play silks or old scarves. And she says even children who don't want to play dress up like the texture of scarves and silks. And that's so, so, so true. Even our children on our caseloads who are very uh, low functioning, who are really, who may have global significant delays respond to the texture of playing with a silky scarf. You can do tons of things with that. Peekaboo is certainly something that you could start with that. Again, tug of war is a fun thing to play since uh, if you're using a scarf that's usually longer. One thing I like to do is put a scarf in my fist and so you look kind of like a magician. <laughs> so you've bundled it all up in your fist and you're doing a good job maybe of saying, you know, push it in or hide it, hide it, hide it or poke it or whatever whatever verb you want to use there. I like again putting a little bit in my hand with my fist. I'm doing it now but you can't really see me providing that example, can you? <laughs> but you hold your fist closed and you take a little bit and stuff it in your fist and again you're you're having the child help you do it and you're saying to them, you know, push or poke or you know, even something like, Look, look, we're gonna push it in there. Go go, it's going in and you get all the way in there and then you make a big deal about where'd it go, where'd it go, where is it? And you can have the child, um, they're probably going to try to open your hand. You know, you can work pull or open or calling the scarf, you know, whatever you want to do. And then then you can have the fun part where you pull the scarf out of your closed hand and again you want to make a big deal about it being really really long and you can again use a variety of words here you can use your exclamatory word to start like boo or whoa or wow so that the child again gets excited and then you're pulling that out together so tons of fun with uh, that kind of thing another fun fun game that I like to play with this is just um, doing up and down. And you can have the child hold one end of the scarf and you can hold the other end and you can hold it up kind of like the parachutes that we talked about in the last show in show number 217, part one of this series, but just, you know, fluffing it up, 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 and then back down. You can also, if you have two scarves, you have one child can have one and you can run through the room where they are flowing behind you and it's a lot of fun and I usually say fly or go or run or you know whatever word I think they 
most applicable for that particular child, but that's a lot of fun. You can also tie a scarf to um, a dowel or a rod or whatever you want to call it or a stick. You, I've done it with a drumstick before so that you are making yourself a little uh, flat, that's what I usually call that, and kids like that a lot. And can you can you how taking one material, like a scarf, and you can come up with all these different ways to use it. So if a child really likes that, you may not even do all of these things in one session. You may start with one of these ideas in one session, and the next week when you come back, bring the same scarf, play the, use the routine, play with it like you did the first time, add one more new routine with the scarf. And the next week, <laughs> you bring it back and you do, you know, start again with the first activity and do the second little activity with it and then do the third activity. And what you're really doing over time is expanding a child's attention to you and the activity. You're also uh, bringing in new like, concepts. You're also helping him with flexibility. And so many of our little friends who go on to be diagnosed with autism have a real problem with being so rigid in how they play. And they just want to play with one item in one way, and that's all they know, and that's all they like, and they want you to really hop to it and stick with their routine too. I like to do that again to begin, but I'm always looking for what to expand play with a child like this. And so sometimes you can do five or six different things with one object in the session, but I've really found that I'll introduce one play routine that a child likes, maybe one little game with the scarf. We might use it like I talked about with my fist there. And then next week, we're going to play with it like that. And again, for however long the child tolerates, five minutes, eight minutes, whatever, and then add an activity onto that kind of at the end. So we're introducing that, giving a child kind of time to learn the original play routine before we try too hard to expand. I think that's a mistake we make sometimes is we don't give children enough time to trying to move on to something new. And that's one of the reasons they react so strongly and one of the reasons they resist is because they don't really know what to expect. So again, that that using it one way this week and the next week we're going to use it that same way and then add something and then the next week we're going to do the two ways we've already done. And you may have children that can't tolerate that. You may have to do the same little play routine for three or four weeks and then add a new little action with that same beloved object. So you'll just have to judge what would work for an individual child. But again, that's what makes this job so fun because you have to figure it out and really um, – tailor your activities toward what's going to work for each individual child. But that building uh, with one one new material, building a play routine, and then adding a new play routine, and then adding a new play routine over time often works better than trying to do 10 new things with one material within um, a single session. So wanted to mention that. In addition to the silks and the scarves. Another thing that she mentioned is a box of hats. And this can be great for toddlers. And it's such a good way to introduce dressing up for a toddler who may not have ever thought about that before, maybe a kid who's not into that yet. 
This may be a child who has more global delays so that cognitively they don't understand that whole symbolic piece of I'm going to put on the princess dress now, which means that I am now a princess. Or when I put on the fireman hat, I can pretend to be a fireman. They may not be at that cognitive level yet. And so using hats to begin that process and to help a child lay that foundation so that he can move move on to that pretend play in time certainly a great way to do it a lot of toddlers love hats especially because they are in complete control of that they can put on and take it off by themselves some toddlers or most toddlers will really enjoy this kind of play better if you have a mirror so that they can see you put on the hat with them and watch themselves as they trade out these hats Wintertime is a fun time to do this, too, because you can get all kinds of uh, little winter hats, you know, the little pull-on kind of wool things that go um, fit so nicely. But you can also use baseball hats, cowboy hats, princess hats, you know, anything that an adult might wear. Gather lots of hats and see what a child might like with that. If you need some really specific ways to play with hats and and you're not so great at coming up with (laughs) your own play routine for this, or if you're somebody, say you're a mom, and you're thinking, okay, that sounds like a great idea, but I don't really know what to do. I wish I had some instructions. There's a whole section or a couple of pages on using hats in my book, Teach Me to Play With You, and I walk you through how to do that and how to introduce that, some other conceptual things you can teach with a hat. You can certainly teach on and off. You can teach up and down. One thing I like to do with hats is pretend I'm smoothing them off my head. So I'll do ha, 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 choo, and then as I say choo, you make the hat fall off. That's a fun thing to even do with potato heads when you're playing. Put the potato head hat on yourself and have the child try to imitate that too. You could certainly do peekaboo with the hat, especially if you're in front of a mirror, you know, holding it in front of your face and that together. Um, you can hide things in hats, so that's another fun thing to do. If mom's there or dad or siblings, you can certainly practice and play with them together. You practice names with hats, with giving commands with, you know, go put the hat on mommy. Oh, and, you know, have some fun with mommy wearing the hat. And then you can say, now put the hat on me. And, again, you're teaching. You're you're (laughs) bringing in these language concepts in a really fun but functional way, and you're working on receptive language with those kinds of activities too. Baby dolls are a fun thing to introduce with hats, and that's often the first kind of dressing and undressing I can get a child to do not only uh, with an object, with a baby doll, but with themselves. And so many of our little friends struggle with self-help skills and certainly OTs are thinking about dressing as a very functional task, but sometimes it needs to be a little bit more fun to get our little guys with delays interested. So hats are a great, great way to start. Talk about moving on from that. Shoes are another great early kind of dress-up thing that kids like to do, and we certainly see this with typically developing toddlers as they will try to wear anybody's shoes that they find. I often, uh, when I've done home visits, take off my shoes and 
traveling home because I don't want to track anything in and mess up their beautiful floors or their carpet. And so many of my little friends, that might be the first activity that we do together because especially if they're barefooted, they want to try to wear my shoes. So think about that. If you have little guys that are doing that that you know are interested in that, bring some shoes next time and look for a variety of shoes. Can you get these from your closet? You don't feel like you should be taking your own shoes on visits. Use what a family already has, and you might talk to mom about that. You can do some great, um, we've talked about dressing up and kind of the the beginning of symbolic play with that, and you can say, you know, oh, you're daddy, you're wearing daddy's shoes. Look, you're the daddy. Verbs, you can teach a ton of verbs when you are playing shoes because you certainly can walk in those shoes, you can run in shoes, you can stomp in the shoes. You can teach all kinds of descriptive words with being out or being quiet. You can teach tons of prepositions, of course, with off and on. So, and you can, you can hide things in shoes. You can do a lot of that. Other kinds of things. Let's think about other cognitive things we can do. We can certainly match. And having a, a pile full of shoes with one, one of the shoes in a big pile and then you having the other set of shoes, the other match to the pair, maybe in a laundry basket, and you can pull out one at a time and say to the child, go get this one, go find this one. And you can do this with a single child in the session. It works beautifully if there are siblings that game. And so, again, what I would do is either put them all in a pile in the center of a room or maybe even line them up against the far wall and so then you have the children lined up again on the opposite wall, and you're going to really work turn-taking with this so that you maybe have the child that you're working with take the first turn. Or if you think he needs to see this, this model so that he can learn the game, let one of his siblings or one of his little peers go first. And so you'll give them one of the shoes, and you'll say, where's the other one? Let's match. Let's match. And, again, you should probably help the first child or have mom have the first child and I like to do all of these kinds of games as running games. And so you're going to run across the room, find the shoe that matches it. What I would probably do is put them together. So, again, it looks right. It looks like there's a matching pair of shoes right there. Or you could have them bring the pair back and maybe throw it in a box or throw it in a laundry basket or whatever you want to do. Do whatever you can to make it really, really fun and really so, again, that running piece usually adds to the energy level so that kids think that's a lot of fun and they get excited about it, want to play, want to have a turn. And this does work really, really well to teach that turn-taking piece. If you have a little guy who, who wants to always take the turn and who, who's reluctant to let somebody else have a turn, hold him during this and have him help you give the shoe to the next person and do a lot of narrating and talking about what's going on with, you know, real high-energy voice with, look, watch, watch Dickie, he's matching the shoe, look, where's it go, where's it go? And so, again, you're keeping him excited with your voice. You're keeping him engaged with what's going on by giving some actions and, and helping him link meaning and you're also holding him so he can't really get the shoe and go do it himself, um, which is great. But if you keep your energy level up and you're pointing and, again, really, really excited, you can probably help him wait for his turn while his brother and sisters 
complete the activity. One thing that I, the other thing that I do during this, they have a two-year-old that I'm working with and, and maybe two older siblings there or two friends, whatever the configuration of children happens to be, is I might explain to the other children, okay, Brandon is going, he, he, Brandon has a hard time taking turns, and he's going to get a turn, more turns than you guys get. So what, how we're going to play this is, you know, sister, you get a turn, and then it's Brandon's turn. And then brother, you get a turn, and then it's Brandon's turn again. So he's going every other time, and that's way to build attention too. Now, some parents don't like it because they'll say, nope, he's got to learn to wait. He's got to learn to sit here, and that's true, but... You've got to really, really build this over time. So that's what I say to mom. And so that letting letting the child that you're working with hack every other turn seems to work really, really well. So try that with kids who um, might struggle with that. Other kinds of dress-up activities, you know, we just had Halloween. Hopefully you hit the clearance aisles and were able to pick up some costumes. And often I've seen children who've not been into pretend play with stuff at all really start to like it right after Halloween. So you might talk to mom about pulling out the Halloween costume from this year and maybe, you know, brother and sister's costumes, and who cares if it's too big for the kid you're working with? That's not really the point. But really bringing that out as a way to reintroduce that dressing up piece and make that a lot more fun. Now, dressing up usually starts to come in for children if we're looking at children who are typically developing between two and a half and three. So don't be alarmed if you have a little guy who's two and a half, you know, a little girl who's two months and they're not quite there yet, because that, that's what's happening with children who don't have delays. And so many times we're looking at, you know, an, another six months before they'll, this is fun. But go ahead and start to introduce these little episodes of dressing up, even if the child only sticks with it a minute or two, even if your big thing is putting the act on, looking at yourself in the mirror, talking about it a little bit with them, pointing out some things, and then they may want to take it off. But that's how you build attention is just doing a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more every single time they do it. Now, what usually helps when you're you're trying to get a child to move to dress up is to have some other props that are ready to go so that you can give them something to do while you're in the outfit. Because usually you can't just say to a guy, you know, if he's dressing up like, oh gosh, a favorite character, if he's dressing up like a cowboy because he likes Woody, if you don't have something ready for him to do or interact with, he may he may not know that. So if he's watched the movie and he likes that, talk to mom about what are his favorite parts. Does he like it when he's with Buzz? Well, then you might need a Buzz Lightyear toy there so that he makes that association and he, he plays like that. If there's a prince, you know, you may have to come up with what what will the princess do next? It could be her birthday or she could um, be the mommy, you know, for the baby, anything that you come up with. She could go to the dance, you know, if a child has watched Cinderella and you could dance around a while. But be sure that you have that next idea, that you have that next um, scheme that little play routine kind of worked out. And don't make it 30 minutes because if a child isn't developmentally ready to start doing this kind of play on his own, he's not ready for that long 
and maybe you know more than a few little sequences. So so just think about what you could do. And again, if a child has liked a certain outfit based on a character, take a look at what the character does in a book that he's liked or in a, a you know an episode of the show or the movie or whatever, so that he's got some basis there and some idea of how to play and gather yourself some other props to, to make that a lot more fun. All right, um, let's move on. Those are Karen Wang's five things. Let's move on to the next few objects that I like to use for kids who don't always like to play with toys. And a big one is a laundry basket. Now, I've mentioned this a little bit. A minute ago, I said that we could put shoes in the laundry basket. I think maybe in our last show, we talked a little bit about um, some other things that we could do with a blanket that were really similar to the ideas that, that we could play um, with a laundry basket. My my favorite game of the laundry basket is to put a top, row, row your boat, and I'm pushing the basket back and forth and singing row, row, row your boat down the stream, merely, 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 like it's but a dream. We might do the second verse of that, which is a lot of fun with the alligator, you know, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. If you see an alligator, close your eyes and scream. We can certainly play that. A lot of times I will just sing row, row, row your boat and then go, oh, no, here comes the water. Ah! And then turn it sideways so the child falls gently on his face. Kids think that is hysterical, and you can make up your own song about that, your own words, whatever you want to do, but that's certainly a, a big thing. Uh, another mom sent me a video of her using a diaper box in this way, and her little guy is still pretty pretty tiny. He's a little thing, and she had him in the diaper box, and she was on a hardwood floor and pushed it back and forth and pretended like it was a car. So even as she's you know just sitting on the floor and pushing the box away and pulling it back, she would do the car noise with whatever she did, and then she would lift up the front of the box say, ah, boom, and then smush it back down to the floor, which is another fun kind of word to use. And I, I play an ah, boom game kind of in a different way, but it was a cute way to do it. But So she just made the car crash a little bit. And her little guy thought that was hysterical, and it was the first way that she could consistently get him to sign more because she's using it with that fun little guy in that fun little way. So you can do the same thing with a laundry basket. Pretend like your laundry basket is a car. I've had kids hiding under the laundry basket, so they are sitting under it, and I put the basket on top of them and do a big, you know, where are you? Call their names, you know, baby, where are you? And then you could jerk it off and yell, boo. You could do a lot of knocking, and knock, 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 hello, hello, where are you? And then pull it off. All kinds of things that you could do with a child hiding um, in the laundry basket. So great ways to play with that too. And if you had Teach Me to Play With You, there are some other ideas on page 84 of that book with how to specifically <laughs> use, a game, use an object like a laundry basket to establish some games, how to set your goals as you're working through that so that you can measure that a child is attending better and all the way, you know, all the ways that we measure engagement. And then 
ways that you could expand the game, so teach mom and dad other things that they could do with a laundry basket at home. Other fun kinds of objects that you could do would be any kind of kitchen play, so that if a child is not yet doing pretend play well enough for you to see debate all together, and we know that children usually perform the, the action themselves before they would be able to involve a doll or a stuffed animal or, or another kind of character in place. If you have a kid that, again, isn't to the level that they're able to feed a doll or, again, whatever material, other objects you're using, you may just want to start with some simple kitchen play with some dishes and so that he's pretending to drink from the cup and he's taking the spoon and serving, you know, pretend food in a bowl. And those kinds of play routines always nearly start when mom is cooking in the kitchen. And so talk to moms about that and how they can just set out two or three little plastic cups and a couple of little bowls and a spoon and, and to get their child to really start to use those kinds of things in the first way that we see pretend play develop, which would be pretending to take a drink himself and pretending to take a bite himself. And you sit down and do that with him because, you know, kids will naturally put the cup to their mouths like they're going to drink because that's what they do when they see a cup. But for you to really help a child become symbolic with that and understand that you are playing you need to do that with them. So even if you have to take a break from cooking and you've just wanted to use those kinds of dishes as your diversion so that you can get a meal prepared, take a minute and sit down with them and do some pretending. And so that when he, you know, you take the cup and pretend to drink, and when you do that, you know, do a big slurpee, and then, or whatever you would do. And then pretend to eat, you know, if you take the spoon and put it up to your lips and go, or, or yum, 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 you know, whatever your eating noise is, do that. A lot of times when we first begin to teach pretend play, and the mistake that we make is over-talking, so that you're saying, oh, my goodness, you're pretending to take a drink from your cup. I really like that you're pretending to do that. Let mommy see you pretend. When you really should just be saying, drink. <laughs> and those kinds of really fun, simple play vocalizations rather than tons and tons of narration and overdoing it. You could actually drive your child away so that he doesn't want to play anymore because you've overstimulated him with your words and you would have done better to keep it really, really simple and you would have done better to introduce pretend play by pretending yourself rather than talking about it. So sit down with your child and do those kinds of things with dishes. And again, therapists, you need to model this behavior for parents, and especially if you're in a program. If you're in a state like mine in Kentucky where they don't really want you to take that toy bag anymore, this is something that you could do in any home. Every family has dishes, so go in the kitchen and talk to mom about this is our very first level of, of teaching him how to pretend. And let's start with some dishes, and let me just show you how to get three or four little cups and, you know, a couple of bowls and some spoons and let's talk about this and, you know, let, if you, if, do you let him play in the cabinet? You know, if you do, let's put this in his little cabinet so he can use 
this in this way, and this is how I want you to start to pretend with him. And, every, you know, at least once a day, every day this week, I want you to do this, and I, this is how I want you to play. And, again, you're modeling, and you're, you're telling mom, don't talk too much when you're doing this. Use a lot of little sound effects. Let me show you how this would look. And you take some time and model that for mom, play together, have her sit on the floor with you, with the child and the three of you, or if there's siblings or other little family friends there, have them join in where all of you are pretending to do that and pretending to feed each other rather than pretending to feed a doll or a stuffed animal because I promise you that feeding another person is a lot more fun for a child who's never done this kind of play before than it would ever be with a doll or something else. So start with that as a nice um, back and forth. If you need some additional ideas for what to do issues, you can get that from Teach Me to Play With You. And again, that is on page 88. There's other cute ideas in there too with objects that aren't necessarily toys. There's a cute little spinning chairs routine. So take a look at that. That's on page 92. There's some fun ideas in there for paper airplanes. I, want, I don't want to talk about those. I, I just I'm going to jump ahead. So let's talking. Uh, let's talk about a seasonal idea that I use this time of year, and it's playing with bells. And you can get a wreath-shaped bell toy so cheaply. Walmart, Dollar Tree, Kmart, Target. Target's probably pricier. But look for bell toys, and certainly, you know, I'll know the song I'm going to say. You could sing Jingle Bells this time of year, which would be a lot of fun for kids. And uh, I've had so much success with that song and getting kids to stay through the song and to try to sing just because we've introduced a prop. So Jingle Bells is a really fun thing to do. Another thing that I've had a lot of luck with last year and this year are getting the single bells, and these would be the bells with the handle um, and just a little bell on the bottom, and those have been at Dollar Tree, and I've bought, say, half a dozen of those. And so for little siblings that come together, I have a little set of twins that I've seen and loved those little bells that, again, they can control and pick up. And I've used that long after Christmas is over. And you can keep singing Jingle Bells if you want to because, frankly, a two-year-old does not care and does not understand that that's a song just limited to the holidays. So you can sing that all year long or you can make up your own song. I usually chant a little, you know, shake, shake, shake the bells, shake, shake, shake the bells. That's fun. You can teach loud and quiet with the bells. I've been holding them up and shaking them in in the air and then holding them down, hiding them behind my back, trying to shake them as they're under my shirt. Any little game has been fun. And so if you were trying to get that basic level of imitation with objects, (laughs) those bells have been a really fun way to elicit that kind of boost motor body imitation. And remember that motor imitation always comes before verbal imitation. So if you have a child who's not very connected with you in play, who doesn't like to play with a lot of toys, like talking about who really struggles to stay with you and to do what you're doing, something as simple as as you having a bell and him having a bell and you doing some different things with it so that he will start to copy you, 
that's a great, great place to begin therapy with kids like this. So use bells, and again, super time of the year to get them because all of those really, really cheap places have them this time of year. One other big category that I like to introduce with children who don't like toys are using gross motor kinds of things. Now, this could be playground equipment, whether you're sliding or swinging. It may be too cold for some of you in uh, the Northeast or the North here in the United States this time of year to really get outside. Even those of us who are in the South are a little reluctant to play outside in the winter. So you may get some gross motor equipment or little um, smaller versions of those kinds of toys that you can use inside. Any kind of small single child trampoline is great for these kinds. Make sure, though, that you are staying engaged and involved with that so that a child doesn't leave you out. When you're doing their little uh, trampolines, but the, you know they hold a little bar, I get right in front of their faces so they're looking at me. And so that might be being on my knees or crouching down or getting a chair so that I'm sitting right there, not standing because, you know, then their little eyes are going to eye level for them is my belly. I want them looking at my face so I reposition myself so that they can see my face when they're jumping. And you can sing when they're jumping. You can even sing a single word like or chant like jump, 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 jump. A lot of moms count when they jump. I like the single word a little bit better because I think you're going to have more of a chance to get some verbal imitation there. And oftentimes we'll hear something like duh, duh, duh after you've established that routine of saying jump, jump, jump. Don't mistake that for just babbling. That's usually a really early attempt to verbally imitate what you said. So use those kinds of things. Um, one Step Ahead makes great ball pit that's kind of like a jumpy space for about 100 bucks, and that's a great investment if you are in a clinic or a preschool and you have the space for that. I've gotten so many great sessions, certainly well exceeded my $100 with that, that One Step Ahead ball pit. So take a look at that. Even jumping on a bed or jumping on a couch can be a lot of fun for a child like this. And you're not using a toy, but you're certainly keeping yourself involved in that play routine. You might do a little um, counting routine where you're counting together and then you help the child jump off the bed or the couch and you're holding his hands. And then you repeat it and you repeat it and you repeat it. And again, what are you doing with this kind of activity? You're establishing engagement. You're working on joint attention because you're both paying attention to one event, which would be jumping. You're probably getting to better eye contact than you would even if you were using a toy. You know, think about all those key social skills that you can at during an activity like jumping. Another fun gross motor toy that's pretty cheap is a tunnel. And you can do a ton of stuff with this. You can just crawl through the tunnel, first and foremost. And if a child has never done this before, this can be a great sensory-seeking experience for our little guys who really need to feel that movement throughout their little bodies. You know, they're crawling as they do that. And you can spend the whole first session just exploring that, that tunnel or part of the session exploring that tunnel. And then maybe next week when you bring it back, you could uh, put a toy 
and so that the child goes in the tunnel to get the toy and then brings the toy back out of the tunnel. If you want to make this a little more structured or or give it a little more um, game-like quality, you could put four or five little balls in the tunnel and have the child get one ball and then, you know, come back out and do it kind of fast and throw it in the laundry basket or the box or, or, or whatever you have there to do and then go back in the tunnel and get the next ball and bring it back out to you and put it in the box and then go back and get the next one. If a child likes puzzles but has gotten a little tired of the puzzles, I have often used the tunnel where I hide the puzzle pieces in the tunnel and they go in and get the puzzle piece and then they come back and put it in the puzzle and then they go back in and get another puzzle piece. If you have a kid who's going to try to get all nine pieces at one time, just put it in there one at a time. Surprise, go do it. Some kids will like it even to get the puzzle piece while they're standing beside you or sitting beside you on one end of the tunnel and putting the puzzle at the other end of the tunnel. They'll crawl through, put the piece in, and again, you may have to get up and run to the other side of the tunnel while they're crawling through so you're there to help them get it in and then crawl back through the tunnel to get the next piece. Our OT friends use this kind of activity all the time. Sometimes we as speech pathologists forget about how fun that can be or we're thinking about it only in terms of a sensory activity. But, oh, my goodness, you can combine your language goals and, again, make an activity like puzzle that kind of maybe has lost a little bit of its appeal. That might be a super fun way to get a child to want to do some additional puzzles with you. Other things I do with the tunnel are teaching size. So again, we smush the tunnel down together on the floor and make it little, and then we move back and let it pop up on its own, and suddenly it's big. Kids like that a lot. It's a lot of fun to do, and it can be something you do before you've done your other tunnel activities or after. Another thing toddlers really like it's when you put them inside the tunnel when it's standing up. So they're standing up and you put the tunnel over them and then you make a big deal about saying, you know, where's Tyler? Where'd he go? Where's Tyler? Tyler, Tyler, where are you? Boo! And you're using it to play peekaboo. You can do up and down with the tunnel that way so that you're making it go up and go down. If you have a tunnel big enough, you can hide in the tunnel that way. I have not found that so easy. It's usually for me putting the child or putting the sibling in the tunnel that way as we're using it to stand up. You know, you, if you have a skinny mom you're working with, she might be able to get in that tunnel too and, and do it that way if you have a child that's reluctant to be in the middle. So great way to use that. Another kind of gross motor toy that I've had a lot of luck in my office with is a punching bag kind of toy. And I, mine looks like Scooby-Doo. And when we were little, if you're my age, there was a Bozo the Clown version that I remember my brothers having, but it's just a low-up kind of toy that um, typically children punch it with their little fists and the toy will move around or fall down and pop back up because it has sand in the bottom. Some moms don't like it because they say, oh, you're teaching him to fight or be violent or aggressive or whatever. I just think it's tons of fun for toddlers. And I have gotten so many kids how or imitate something similar to that exclamatory word while we're playing with this. Other things that kids like to do are turn it on its side and kind of ride it. So you could do, you know, ride a little horse, to watch out, Shelby, don't fall down, and help the child fall over a little bit, and then sit right back up on 
uh, your punching bag and do it again. Other things that I've done with that darn Scooby-Doo punching bag, I've pretended to go night-night and did like Scooby-Doo was going night-night with us and held the punching bag down on its side, and we've done our whole little night-night routine. And then, we, you know, we, we say, oh, we're going night-night, and then shh, and then we pretend to snore, and we pat Scooby-Doo, and then we say, oh, it's time to wake up. One, two, three, wake up! And, of course, when we let that punching bag go, it returns upright. And kids think that's hysterical because it does look like Scooby-Doo woke up. So that's certainly a way to expand your night-night game. If you've not kid you want to do that yet with the baby doll, and, again, you're working on that pretend play piece and you're thinking, how can I make this more fun or more understandable, for me, using that, that little punching bag toy has been a fun way to expand the game night-night. So I wanted to mention that. Other kinds of gross motor objects that are more like toys for these kinds of kids, I hardly have ever had a kid who did not like balloons or who did not like a, more like a beach ball so that it's lighter, uh, it's not as apt to hurt anyone, a beach ball versus, say, playing with a heavier soccer ball. But those kinds of, of early toys are certainly something that you can try, again, to introduce with a child who doesn't seem to like to play toys. And again, the more gross motor you make the activity, the more likely you are to get involvement. So for beach balls, certainly just throwing it back and forth. If you have a mom that really doesn't want you doing that in her home, you may try to make it a little more structured so you're just running with the beach ball a little bit and you can use that darn laundry basket to run, throw the beach ball in the basket and then maybe you shake the basket and then maybe you take the beach ball back and you know put it under the table and then you get ready to do the whole little play routine again. And even though that sounds really simple and really dumb, <laughs> for lack of a better word, toddlers love that kind of play and even love that kind of uh, sequential play. And so if you have a kid who's not very good at listening or following directions or wanting to do a little play routine, coming up with a gross motor activity like that is often the very first way that you'll get them involved in that sort of thing. It also works for peers, and so if you're at a daycare and you've not had much luck at all getting the child that you're playing with, uh, to notice other children, these kinds of gross motor games, even running from point A to point B, as simple as being on one side of the daycare classroom and everybody running to the other side and touching the wall and then running back to the first wall and touching it. And you can have everybody, you know, line. As soon as I get to the wall, they should stop and everybody's going to line up and wait on everybody else and then run back to the other wall. Now, some teachers may say, we do not run in the classroom. I do not want you to do that in here. But you could do it in the gym or you could do it out on the playground with them. And again, it's good that running from point A to point B, but children love it. And it is often the very first way that I can see that a child becomes to be more aware of peers who are around him. 
bowling sets or another fun gross motor toy that I can get almost anything to play with, even if, if they don't like other kinds of toys. And these are so cheap. I mean, you can get one at, at Walmart for just a few dollars. And so usually there are the plastic pins, and you set them up on one side of the room or even, you know, just a few feet away from you, and you roll the pin and knock the pins down. Now, most of the time for most of the children that we see, they're not going to be ready to do the ball with you until you let them kick the pins down themselves with their feet or jump on them or whatever way they want to get those pins down. They usually will do that for a while before they realize they should roll the ball and do it, and that's okay. Don't get too bent out of shape when you can't get the kid to play right the first couple of times that you're doing this. Just keep at it and just show them, look, I'm going to do it with the ball. If you have a mom there, you could have mom hold the kid while you demonstrate the whole, you know, setting the play routines up, or the play routines, the pins up while you roll the ball and then watching them fall down. And remember that you should be so purposeful about your language here and create your verbal routine where you say the same thing every single time and you make setting the pins up part of your routine. If you haven't seen my theory guide, Creating Verbal Routines, I've got a nice example of me doing this with a little guy who was on the autism spectrum. And again, he was a busy little guy who didn't like to play with very many toys. But several words when he came to me because he was a labeler, meaning that he knew the word but only in the context. He didn't use very many words to accomplish real communication in, in his daily events. Um, he might only have called, you know, cookie, cookie if it were a picture on a page rather than walking into the kitchen to ask mom, you know, cookie, can I have a cookie? He, he just, he wasn't there yet. And so one of the things that I worked hard with him on is getting him to complete a play routine with me. And, and the little bowling set was a big hit. And so if you've not seen creating verbal routines and you want to see that example, that's a, a great way of, of getting that kind of play going, and particularly um, for a child who's busy and who doesn't often stop enough, stop long enough to play with toys. So a bowling set can be a great first activity to introduce. In the last three minutes that we have, I want to talk about the importance of social games for these kinds of kids, and you may be thinking, oh boy, I'm going to turn this off because I've heard her talk about social games so many times, I'm sick of it. Let me encourage you to think about your own practices and the stuff that you do with your own kids. You should have at least 10 go-to social games that you were able to play with any child, any time, and honestly, you could build a whole session around social games and mm -hmm. say your life with a child who doesn't like to play with toys very much and who you really need to get that initial engagement piece going or or as I like to tell mom, I have to make friends with him first. I have to want him to play with me. I have to get his attention. I have to I have to become a toy here for him. So social games are are to do that. If you need some ideas and some instructions, get my book teach me to play with you. It will walk you through it. Last minute, I'm going to tell you my 10 favorite social games. 
that I've had the most success with, particularly for children who don't like playing with toys. Ring Around the Rosies is a great one because they learn that whole little song. You hold hands with them, so you are automatically included in the game. It's a great, we have a great ending for that game when we fall on the floor and we are set. You're either set, ready to play something else that you pull out, or you get ready and you play it, excuse me, again and again and again. Ring Around the Rosies also has some nice, if you play it the right way, some nice verbal routines built in where you're doing ready, set, go at the beginning and you're teaching a child to play with somebody else because he has to hold their hands to play the game. Um, there's the movement piece that's already completed, so love that game. It's my number one social game. Ride a Little Horsey is another one, and I play by putting a child on my legs on the floor, and I'm riding him up and down as we sing that little song. Row, row your boat, play it in the same way so that it's, we're sitting on the floor and the child is sitting on my outstretched legs on my lap, and I hold his hands and we row back and forth as we sing. Up, down is a game that I go to right after that, and that's where I'm lifting a child up on my legs and saying up, 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 down, and letting him fall to the ground as I say down. Any kind of little game that you have with Ready, Set, Go, whether you're running or tickling or chasing or whatever you want to do, it's another staple social game that you should be using with children. Ah, boom, I've already mentioned how fun that little ah, boom can be, whether you are helping a child jump on the bed and then you fall when you say boom, whether you are just raising your hands in the air and doing ah, boom, and then slamming your palms down on a couch or a table or the floor that really attracts attention that's one of my top 10 social games singing where oh where while a child hides whether it's under a blanket or whatever whatever we've done that's another social game that you can play to really that's just beyond the game peekaboo that you can use to get a child to play with you the choo-choo song which is a game I learned a long time ago, and I play it by having a child lie on his back on the floor, and I'm saying, here comes the choo-choo train that's chugging down the track. And when I'm saying that, I'm usually um, holding his legs and moving them kind of side to side, and then the next part, chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga, 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 choo-choo. For that, I'm pushing his little legs to his chest, kind of like, you know, cogwheel, like those those train wheels do. But kids love that, especially kids who um, like to be on their backs. My my tenth uh, little game here, I hope that's ten. My tenth game here is a marching, marching game, and that's where we all march, say, around a table, and we're singing the little song. Marching, 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 hop, 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 running, 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 running. Now we stop and we, we do the motions for that song. First we march and then we hop and then we run and then we stop. So great way to involve kids in playing with you who don't like toys. You're also teaching some early language there where you're working on those verbs. You're also, again, teaching the whole we play together, we all do the same thing, you stay with me, and it's fun enough for the child to want to learn it. So you should have at least 10 social games that you can whip out in a second that you don't need to think about, that you are 
ready to play at any given moment. And, and you interject those little games between your other activities or they can just be the basis for your whole session. But, but that's really my number one strategy and my number one idea for kids who don't like to play with toys. They learn first to play with me. And you teach moms and dads to do that so moms and dads have more grip and more, a more structured way to play so that they're not uncomfortable, so that they're not left to just watch their child and not know how to get in there. So that is, again, just the number one starting point for kids who don't necessarily like to play with toys again. And I know I've mentioned teaching me to play with you several times <laughs> through the podcast today, but if you need help getting this kind of play going with children who don't necessarily know how to use a lot of toys or who don't seem to like the toys, I've done the work for you. The steps are outlined on the pages there, and it's a great homework tool for therapists. You can play a game or use a routine, or I mentioned all those objects that I have ideas for within the book. You can do that in the session, have the pages copied, and then hand it to the parents and say, this is your homework for this week. This worked today in the therapy session, and I want you to do this at home next week with your child and when you come back we're going to talk about it and we're going to see what happened we're going to see how well he stayed with you how he's building his attention you know talk about eventually we hope to hear words in these kinds of games so great ideas that's a great therapy tool if you need some help in getting that kind of play going all right so this is the end of this series on ideas for kids who don't like to play with toys, I hope that you've gotten some great therapy ideas for our children who seem to be more challenging than children who do like to play with other toys. I'd also love to hear your ideas for this kind of play. You can always email me those at laura at teachmetotalk.com. I'd love to use those for a future podcast. If you have questions about this kind of play, please email me. I absolutely love to hear from podcast listeners. All right, so that's going to do it for today's show. I wish you all a very, very, very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and I will talk to you again in 2014. Have a great New Year. Thanks. Bye-bye.